I have spoken over the last few weeks about a very simple truth. It's found within the scripture and it just kind of permeates everything. Again, it's been a common theme for several weeks. And it's a message of what makes us great. What makes us dynamic. What makes us possess that which God has promised. What makes us ministers from the overflow is that we are designed to receive. Key word. Please lock in on that word. We were designed to receive the things of God. I shared this in a message a couple of weeks ago from John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He came unto his own, but what? His own, next word, received him not. But in the next verse, he said, but to those who will receive, to those who will receive him, he will give the power to become the sons of God. Please recognize It has always been about receiving. What makes us great in the kingdom is not where we go. It's not my ability to speak. It's not my ability to do. It's not my ability to share. What makes us great in the kingdom every day, every every truth within God's word points us to that reality. What makes us great, what makes us dynamic is our ability to receive. I don't know about anyone else. I know that I have never been taught that message. I have always been taught what we've always taught. The way that you're great is based on what you do. Well, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more. You cannot give what you do not have. If you're not a great receiver of God's love, you will not be a great giver of God's love. If you are not a great receiver of God's kindness, you will not be a great giver of God's kindness. If you don't receive the salvation of God, you will not be able to tell your story from a position of victory. It will not happen because we are people designed to receive. We even hear about it in the letters to the Corinthians, that we are an earthen vessel. I'm an old clay pot designed so that I could receive and hold something in me that is great and dynamic and beautiful. And I wish I would have gotten that message when I was Braden's age. I wish somebody would have told me when I was young the truth of this reality because I never even was introduced to it until I was probably 40 or 50 years old. This dynamic reality of the Christian life. You see, we have to understand we had to receive Jesus as our Savior. We had to receive his resurrection so that we would have life. We had to receive his spirit that gives us power and authority to do everything. We had to receive his promise of eternity Everything has been about our willingness to receive. And all of it must be received by faith. So I want us to begin this morning in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. If you'd go there with me, chapter 13. I want to show you this, and I hope our hearts are are ready, because as Jay prayed, and there is something very, very specific that Satan is trying to stop this morning, and I don't know what it is. Because this is the kind of morning that it feels like the, that the Spirit of God is sitting right here and just ready to collapse on us. And it's, just, it's like He is sitting here waiting to drastically change lives. And all He's waiting on is an invitation to come these last few inches. That's the way it feels. I feel like I'm kind of preaching under this reality. And it's like God saying, if they invite me, I will fall on this place this morning. He will not force himself, but he is absolutely waiting. Sorry, Numbers chapter 13. And I'll begin reading with verse 30. The children of Israel have been in 
the wilderness for 18 months. They've come out of Egypt, passed through the Red Sea, escaped the bondage, lived in the wilderness on the Sinai Peninsula for 18 months with God trying to convince them that you are no longer slaves, but you are my chosen people. So for 18 months, he has been trying to to tell them this message. And now they have sent spies into Canaan to look at the promised land. Verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we are in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So here we have a group of people who stood poised at this brink of opportunity. Their future was right in front of them, within that arm's reach. They had come all this way, experienced all the things of God, had come to this point at Kadesh Barnea, were standing there, with Canaan in sight, at the fulfillment of all that God wanted to do, they sent in the 12 spies, and the, tw- the 12 spies come back with this report, and Joshua and Caleb come back with this excitement and say, let's go, we can take it, God has said it, let's go do it. And the other 10 said, no, my goodness, did you, know, did you not see what we saw? Did you not see the giants that we saw? Did you not see the work that it took to maintain this place? And they come back and they create this report. And here they stand on the brink of a future that they can't quite imagine, but that God's promise has given them assurance that this promise was really theirs. And I want to tell you today, and you may disagree with me, but most Christians, this is a story of believers. You see, they've escaped the bondage. They come through the Red Sea, but there's still a decision that needs to be made because here's a believer who has escaped bondage, the bondage of sin, through the red blood of Jesus Christ, but still a decision about how we're going to live our Christian life. What's this story going to look like for you and I after we're saved? And here they stand at this moment with their future within their hands, not based on what they know yet, but based on the promises that God has given them. And most of us today, the promises of God are not enough. God has promised us unbelievable things, truth that is so more, much more dynamic than our hearts and our minds can, I, can imagine. But I want to tell you, it does not mean that it's any less true than when God spoke it. So here they are standing at this moment, and we have this kind of a report. And God is telling them, preparation has been made. God has brought them from one miracle to the next. Has taught them to break that slave mentality and how to walk in freedom. So they stand at this point of faith. Which choice are they going to make? Are they going to go in? Are they going to stay in the wilderness where they are? So what will happen? Will God's promises be enough? Will the training that he's just taken them through for 18 months, will it be enough? And we know the sad end of the story, this part of the story. The answer is no, it won't be enough. Every miracle, every time they would wake up in the morning and they would go out and get the manna that was provided for them. When they saw all the Egyptians dead on the seashore after the Red Sea had collapsed on them. When they saw the water come out of the rock, when they saw the Amalekites destroyed by the edge of the sword in Joshua, 
when they saw the, the tree put in the bitter waters of Merah, and all of a sudden it was sweet. Every miracle that they had seen, every dynamic thing that God had done was not enough. So when they came to this choice, all of that stuff was not enough. And it was because of one reason. Because none of that stuff was designed to show them how strong they were. None of it was designed to show them what their capabilities were. None of it was designed to tell them how big they were, how, how mighty they were. Not a single one of the things that God did was designed to point to them and say, you're able to do it. You're capable of doing it. Now go and, and get it done. I want to tell you that it was never the point. It will never be the point for us. The very dynamic things that God does for us is never designed for us to gain assurance in ourselves, to recognize our ability, to recognize our strength or our power. Everything that was done over the last 18 months had one purpose, and that was so that they would see the very dynamic of God. So when they stood at this point at Kadesh Barnea, they wouldn't look within themselves and say, we can't do it. That's the absolute truth. They were absolutely right. In their assessment, we can't go take it. We can't overcome the giants. We can't do those things. They were absolutely correct. But what they failed to do was that the last 18 months where God demonstrated love and compassion and power, he, did, he destroyed the Egyptians. He had won battle after battle as they were coming through the wilderness. When they went to the land of the Edomites, all of those things so that they would know at this point, please do not address yourself. But understand the power of God in the moment. We saw it when Jesus was standing there before the multitudes and the disciples are looking at these thousands of people and all of them are hungry. And the disciples are looking at them and say, Jesus, we've got to send them away because there's no way for us to get enough food to feed these 5,000 men. There's just no way to do it. So their assessment is send them away because the problem, the challenge was so much bigger than what their capability was. And there they were standing with the person failing to assess what is the capability of Jesus in this moment. And I guess one little boy, I don't know how the story completely unfolded, but I guess one little boy imagined that these few loaves, these few fish would be enough if I can just get them in that guy's hands. I want to tell you, most of us have learned to assess what's my capability, what can I do, where can I go, what's my knowledge, what's my experience. And most of us assess our relationship to God and what he says before us based on our inability to do it. We were talking to, to Chad and Aaron this morning because they're still working in this process of getting these three little girls. Now, I don't know I could say this for them, but I know I could say it for me because if somebody were to announce to me and Jan right now that we were fixing to take three little girls to raise, everything about that conversation would, would be to make me assess me. Old. That would be my first word. I'm old. I'm, I know what the, my capabilities are. I know what my knees say, and I know what my back says, and I know these, I, I would immediately assess myself. I'm so grateful that when you talk, they are not at all describing themselves. They are describing the opportunity and the reality of what God is doing. I tell you, when we suddenly assess something that more dynamic than ourselves, the possibilities become tremendously great. The past 18 months, as they traveled across the Sinai Peninsula, we're never designed to tell them that this is what you can do when you get to Canaan. Every bit of it was designed to tell them this is what God can do. So when it comes time, what are they going to consider? And I guess we know. 
Well, I want to talk to you for just a second about what was their first fatal flaw. What happened to them first that would make them come to this moment, faced with the choice, and make the choice that they did, which would keep them out of the promised land for the next 40 years? First flaw, and I want you to get this because it's our first flaw as well. The first fatal flaw was that they named the giants. The giants all had a name. Each name that was mentioned when they came back and gave the report, each name carried with it the, the history of past struggle with these people or the history of past battles or trouble with these people. So when they, go with me to, back to Numbers 13, verse 28. It says, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. Now, what did, who had they just battled in the wilderness? They had battled the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And all of a sudden, these giants that were being described by the spies, now they had names. Now they had identity. And I want to tell you, when that began to happen, when they said Amalekites, Everything that they had faced with the Amalekites came back into the story. Make sense? It wasn't just giants now. It wasn't a generic term. With every name that was placed on these giants, on these people, history came with it. Every struggle, every battle, when they said giants, yeah, we can think of giants. When they said Amalekites, the battles got real specific back here. All the things that the Amalekites had ever done. And now they weren't just battling something big. They were battling something specific that they had been battling before. And I want to tell you one of the reasons that we fail to go into the fullness and the promises of God is because we have also named our giants. Here are some of them. This is why when somebody comes into my office, they tell me I've been, I've been diagnosed as being clinically depressed. I hate it when they say it. I'm, it may be absolutely true. That may have been exactly what the doctor had, had come up with and said these people are clinically depressed. All of a sudden, the giant has a name. All of a sudden, in that word depression, it, it comes back, well, that's what my uncle had. That's what my aunt had. That's what my mom battled all these years. That's what my friend did. And this is what led to this and this. And all of a sudden, when it's got a name on it, there's reality to it. And we're not battling something that is just unique to them anymore. We're battling all the history that goes with it. I'm not battling what you're going through. I'm battling the history that came with it. And I want to tell you, when those giants begin to take on names, anxiety. Man, you don't have to mention anxiety in me. As I, my mind goes back to those moments with me when I absolutely lost control because of anxiety. Had to be taken to the ER. Had to be transported to Lubbock. And the story was nothing more than anxiety. So when somebody says anxiety to me, I pay attention. Because anxiety has a history with me. When these giants take on names, addictions and habits, shame and regret, guilt and blame, and the list goes on and on as we name these giants, every one of them brings a history of struggle. So we consider the size, we consider the strength, and fear has been our answer just as it was in this day. Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, every one of these names has caused us now to assess the size of the giant and their strength and their power over us. 
When we name these giants that are in our life, I can guarantee you they will begin to have a power over us. It's like a sweeping over our heads, like a wave as these things begin to take on identity. And fear has been our typical answer. We don't even know what to do with it. We don't even know how to answer it because all that that does when we assess the size of the giant causes fear. And every one of us in this auditorium know this story far, far too well. Fear has been a huge part of how we have answered the things that are in front of us that seem bigger than us. As you're turning to Deuteronomy 11, I want you to go there with me for just a second. Most of us would say that the giants that we have battled have greatly altered our march to our future. So here's the picture. You know, they're standing here at Kadesh Barnea. They left, they left Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. They left Egypt. They went down the Sinai Peninsula for 18 months so that God could bring them to this place of Canaan, this place of Kadesh Barnea, to make a decision. And now they're here, and there's where they're supposed to live, but the giants are greatly altering their future. I want to assure you, your giants are greatly altering your future. Your giants, whatever you're battling, it may be self-worth, it may be whatever it happens to be, whatever those names are, I guarantee you it is greatly altering your future. It may be anger, it may be bitterness, whatever it happens to be, it is greatly changing your future. It's altering it. Every one of us could stand and give a testimony of those things that have happened in our life. So even some of them is, are irrational fear, irrational things. I can tell you one of the big ones that, I, that is so strange within the Christian world is how much guilt stands between us in the future we want because we don't want to be found out. Those are the giants that are in our life. I want you to read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning with verse 22. For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto them, then will the Lord drive out those nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourself. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river and from the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall be no man able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he has said unto you. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse." I want to tell you, this is God's promise before they, as they were making this journey, before they ever came to Kadesh, before they were ever come to this point of, of, of a question, this is God telling them, this is what I'm going to do for you. This was God's promise to them. He said, there will be no enemy bigger than you. There will be no place where you put your foot as you enter into Canaan that will not be yours. This is a promise with a guarantee established by God to these people. And they're sitting there hearing this truth given to them. This is their prophetic future. This is God speaking over them something that has not yet happened, but it is more true than what they're currently experiencing. That's the nature of prophecy. Prophecy establishes a truth in front of us that's greater than the experiences I'm having right now. This was their prophetic future. This is what God is saying, I know the plans I have for you and they're good. This is God announcing that he has something in front of us that the giants cannot take away. Nothing can take us away from the promises that God has made. But, we, but they were faced with the same struggle that you and I face today. Those promises have been made to them. And he set before them a choice. 
Go back with me to Numbers chapter 14. We were just in 13. Go back to 14. I want you to see, because if you'll listen this morning, you'll find yourself in this story. You'll find yourself in this moment. Numbers 14, beginning with verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into that land and give it to us. Notice that word. Please notice that word, and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. What was their answer to, to Joshua and Caleb as they reminded them of God's promise that we just got through reading? God's promises, I will take you in. I will give you the land. I will give you victory over enemies that you could not explain. I will give you nations that you don't deserve. And I will move you powerfully through the reality of this promise. And they stood there in this moment with Joshua and Caleb encouraging them and saying, please listen to this. Their answer was to pick up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb because they refused to hear. But what happened? What happened in this 18-month journey? What happened that they could not go in? And we stand as they did with our future in arm's reach. All that God has promised them, all that God has promised us that is accessed by faith. And we conclude what they concluded and that's the fact that the giants are bigger than us. My giant, whatever I named, is bigger than me. Why don't we conclude that they are not bigger than God? Why is that not our conclusion? Why isn't our assessment in these moments that whatever I'm facing, that it is not bigger than God? There's a reason why we don't do that. It's because we have never received our champion. We have never received and recognized and received his presence, his spirit inside of us. Because I want to tell you, you this is a real simple disconnect. If you have not received the spirit of God, all you can do is assess yourself. And the giants will always be bigger. If you know God conceptually, if you know God from the scripture, if you know God from, from the Sunday school lessons and from the sermons, but you have never received him, as your champion, as that spirit that comes to indwell you, as the life of Christ in you, if you've never received it, all you're left to look at when you assess the giant is your weakness. Here were the disciples, and the storm was raging, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. Why? Why were they so upset? Why were they so afraid? It was because they had assessed that the storm is bigger than they were. The storm out there, outside the boat, was bigger than everything inside them. So all that they were left with in assessing themselves was fear. That's our story. Most of our stories look just like that. They woke up Jesus and said, don't you care? And Jesus stands up in the boat, rebukes the storm, and said, peace be still. I don't think he screamed it, peace be still. Why? Because the peace that was inside of him, that he had received of his, from his father, the peace inside of him was greater than that storm and he knew it. 
so that he had the ability from that which was inside of him to change the complete atmosphere of everything around him because of what he had received, what he knew about himself. That storm was nothing. Most of us have assessed ourselves and found ourselves greatly lacking. So the giants are always bigger, always stronger, always more able. And we fight struggles and, we, and addictions and pain and all the things that come into our life because we never assess the reality. Yeah, we know God is bigger. We know God is bigger. I can stand right here in the middle of watching the giant and know and testify that God is bigger, but if I don't receive him, all I'm left to do is assess myself. But if I come across this page and I receive my champion, if I receive the enormity of God, the power of God, the authority of God by the work of the Holy Spirit, if I receive it, then I'm going to understand something. I can't take on the giant, but the God who lives in me is not frightened by him at all. He has no power over the God who lives in me. He's not bigger. He's not stronger. He can't control me. He can't dynamically change me or move me because he has, to be, he has to move the one who's anchored me in my spot. The one who's dynamically bigger and more powerful. See, it's always been about the receiving. I can stand over here and testify that God is bigger than that giant, but it will make no difference until that God becomes real to me, in me, powerfully working and dynamically through me. And then I know that storm can't move me. That giant can't hurt me. I love the story of David. The giant couldn't do it, not because David in the moment was, was, knew that he could take on Goliath. David won that battle when he was off by himself, and he killed the lion, and he killed the bear, and he knew that the God that was with him was bigger than the God of that giant. And he looks at the giant and says, Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you would dare come against the army of God? David knew. David knew who he was. Look at this. Go with me to one more scripture. Joshua 2. We're going to fast forward 40 years. So here we are 40 years later. After all that generation had died under, under what God's judgment was because of their refusal. Here we are 40 years later and a whole new group of spies that have gone into the land. Still facing a choice. Joshua 2 beginning with verse 8. They were coming out and almost captured, so they seek refuge in this woman's house. Her name is Rahab. She's a harlot. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now, when did they hear this? When did this occur? 40 years ago, 40, she's talking about something that happened 40 years ago. I know that the Lord has given you the land. The terror is fallen upon us and, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt and what, he, what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were of the other, on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. You see, the enemy already knew the enemy was defeated. The giant that's standing in front of you already knows he's defeated. He knows it. 
He knows that he's defeated. Rahab is standing there in Canaan telling them, 40 years ago when we heard about you, when we heard about the Red Sea, when we heard about the battles, when we heard that, you're, that the, the one who was bringing you was God himself, the, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any man. So they're standing at Kadesh Barnea fearing giants who knew that they were already defeated. So the enemy knew. The giants knew. All that possess our future except us know. Our God knows. Who's missing from the list? Our enemies know. The giants know. Those who are currently possessing my future know. Our God knows. Who's missing from the list? Us. Everybody knew. Here are these millions of people standing at Kadesh Barnea looking into their future within arm's reach of what God had promised them. God knew. The enemy knew. The giants knew that they were defeated. It's one of the saddest passages in all of the Bible when Rahab begins to tell them 40 years ago, we knew. What's it going to take? We stand here as they did at Kadesh Barnea with our future in reach and we keep assessing ourselves and, and looking at the giants, looking at people that we can blame, looking at the story that we can blame, looking at the situation we can blame, looking at the struggles in front of us that we can blame. And God is saying, but which one of those is bigger than me if you're willing to receive me? And sadly, in the Christian world, we have been taught what it means to understand God, but we have not been taught what it means to receive him. It's always been about receiving. We had to receive him as Savior. We have to receive him as Lord. We have to receive him as our champion. We have to receive him as the only one who can bring us into the fullness of our promise. I don't know what's standing in your way, but I do know this. If we ever will make this move, if we will ever receive, we will stand here and recognize that that one who's come to live in me, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Scripture after scripture telling us what anchors me, what makes me stronger, what makes me victorious, what makes me able, what makes me a minister, what gives me power, what gives me authority. Every single time the answer, Christ in me, the Holy Spirit found within my presence. And if he be for me, who can be against me? I don't know what's standing in your way. I, it could be knowledge, could be a giant. I don't know what it is. But this morning, he's ready. Whenever you're ready, he's ready. But it won't be because he comes to take on your giant. That won't, he won't do that. The God that you know out here won't come fight your giant up here. That God that you know out here wants to come right in here so that he can fight him from right there. That way you'll know. He'll never leave you. He'll never depart from you. And that, and that giant will never be stronger than you because you've taken in the reality of the strength. You've taken in the reality of the power. If you ask him to do it from out here, the next time the giant comes, you're not going to look inside here. You're going to look over there and see, is God close? Yeah, he is, because he's come to dwell in you. That's the reality this morning. I don't know what you're battling. I don't know what your giants are. I do know the answer. It's written on every page of that Bible. Every page tells us the answer, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Victory, because we, have, we will take in 
A person, not an idea, not a concept. We will take in a person whose name is Jesus and it will change the story. Don't talk about the giant. Don't talk about your problems. Don't talk about your issues because all you're doing is just renaming the giant. You want it to be different this morning. You come asking for the Holy Spirit to come dwell in you. And I guarantee when you ask, he will come. That's a guarantee. If you ask, he'll come. Every single time.